Well, thank you to the worship team for leading us in these songs. We're just reminded that this Christian life, if you're a Christian believer, it is not something that you live by your own strength. You do it by faith, faith in Christ. He's the one who works in and through us. Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, as Pastor Paul had had preluded for us, we're going to be fed by the Word of God. And I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 43 through 45 uh, in the Blue Pew Bible. I believe it's page 863. I'm going to ask you to stand again as we honor God's Word by Standing, and we're going to read Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. This is the very Word of God. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Almighty triune God, as we read your word. We are thankful that you have given us this great gift. Holy Father, we thank you that your love is testified to us in your adoption. We thank you for the Holy Son through whom we have mediation and even the gift of the Holy Spirit through whom we have intercession and comfort. We do pray that you would grant us mercy in these days Mercy upon us and upon this world as we see tragedy without and horrors within, as we are troubled by so much of what we see around us, the reports that we get. Oh Lord, we we do ask for mercy upon the families of of the children in Uvalde, Texas. We think of the families in eastern Ukraine, and all of their disruption and terror and war. We think of families in northern Nigeria who are under persecution, Christian families harassed and chased. Lord, all of these things, these these tragedies, we, we pray, Lord, that they would be used by you and many would be caused not merely to flee geographically, but that they would flee spiritually to Jesus Christ, that they would find refuge in Him. Lord, we do pray for churches, for the advance of the gospel through the local church. We do lament the report from the Southern Baptist Convention. Many of these churches and and connections we even have, Lord, we do pray that this report of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Church, in that convention, we pray, O Lord, that you would grant much mercy to victims and their families and to those churches. Lord, we pray that righteousness would prevail. Lord, we pray that you would do a purging work of sin and that righteousness would come forth where your name is honored as it ought to be and people's lives are transformed and healed. Lord, we do pray for the advance of the gospel in this province. We thank you that you have raised up gospel-preaching churches. We think of our brother Terry Stauffer, who is a a newer pastor, although very seasoned, pastoring at Gospel Grace Church in Fort Saskatchewan. We do pray that you would give Terry... Uh, great liberty as he preaches your word. We rejoice with Terry and Juanita at the 
marriage of their daughter, Anne. We thank you for that family as we even remember their ministry here among us. We do pray that you would bless Terry and work through that church, even as this, this work is revitalized and, and set on a firm foundation of your word. Lord, we pray for our church, for this congregation, Calvary Grace. We pray that you would give us generous hearts to share our time, our talent, our treasure, that you would cause us to be those who even seek to be generous in giving of ourselves to share the gospel, to hold forth the gospel, to tell it to those within these walls but outside these walls. We pray for those with many health problems, health challenges, even even temporal recoveries from health, and we just pray, Lord, that you would give those folks wisdom to know how to manage their energy and time, how they ought to bear faithful witness even in the midst of their sufferings. And Lord, we do pray that you would protect your church from the schemes of the enemy. We pray that we would be able to resist the devil and that he would flee from us. We pray that all the satanic schemes that would seek to thwart the advance of the gospel, whether by the plots of men or councils or governments or whatever it might be, you would help us, Lord, to see through the schemes of Satan and that we would hold forth your gospel no matter what. And even now, Lord, as we hear your word, we know it is by faith that we are to receive these things. We pray that your word would come and be, be nourishing to us, that it would clarify things for us, and that you would cause us to be drawn to treasure Jesus Christ this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Martin Lloyd-Jones, the the late Welsh preacher, considered one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, he spoke on the, the question, what is an evangelical? Or if you like, what is a Christian? And he made this comment, he said this, when a man ceases to be watchful, he, to that extent, ceases to be an evangelical. The person who says, it's all all right, you don't need to bother, we're all Christians and we're having a marvelous time together. Well, that person is not watchful, and they are already departing from the biblical position, unquote. There's a word which I don't hear a lot being used, but it actually gets to the heart of of the sin problem that is, seems to be plaguing evangelical churches today. And the word is hypocrisy. As God has moved among our church and among many people who have been saved in the last two or five or ten or twenty years in this last season of blessing, Many of us have been caught off guard because of many heroes of the faith that we've looked up to, and they've been revealed as being hypocrites. It's extremely disillusioning. Churches that were looked to as models have later become case studies in hypocrisy. Of course, Many of us have been following a recent podcast that tracked a church in Seattle that was so famous for its ministry and yet now becomes a bit of a case study in hypocrisy, speaking of Mars Hill Church as it was known. Pastors and evangelists have been celebrated for their giftings with people claiming that God had anointed these special teachers in unique ways, only for us to find out that these men have sinned in gross ways that disqualify them from ministry. And so, 
we get a little bit caught off guard by this hypocrisy. And again, if you were here in the main Sunday school, Pastor Rob teaching about the country of India and what happened in some of the churches in India and how this hypocrisy became embedded in some of the churches there, as in many churches, certainly here in Canada. When I was thinking about this and thinking about our passage in Luke chapter 6, I was reminded of the first time that somebody told me as a young boy that professional wrestling was fake. I didn't want to believe it. And so... My granddad used to take me to the wrestling matches. They would travel around. And so in the High River Arena, you would go and watch these guys up close. But then when I saw both the heroes and the villains leaving together in the same van, well, I knew that they would actually didn't really hate each other like I thought. I came to find out that there's a, there's a name in wrestling that they use, they they call it kayfabe. Uh, kayfabe is this idea of maintaining the illusion that everything is real. And, and that's, I, I, as I think about this, there are people in, in this church, in many churches, people who are leading churches, people who are serving in churches, and they are living in a spiritual kayfabe. They, they are living, maintaining the illusion that everything is real, that everything is true, but meanwhile, they're just hypocrites. They live in hypocrisy. Jesus knew this. He knew about this spiritual kayfabe. He knew it was, was a problem. And so he repeatedly taught correcting this hypocrisy, and he taught even using one of his tree and fruit metaphors that we've been going through recently. In this case, in Luke chapter 6, he's not talking about the process of fruitfulness. We already looked at that a little bit. He's not talking about the need for a regenerate heart soil. We talked about that already as well, both looking at Matthew 13 and John 15 in previous sermons. But instead, he was getting at something else. And you, you can see he was getting at then this, this need, this need to be able to identify who is real and who is not. And so there's a sense that you and I, you and I can see who's real. You, you, can, we, you and I can see who is good. You and I can see who is false and who is evil. These previous messages we've looked at teaching that showed us some of the things that God sees. But in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is telling us what man sees. So it's instead of looking down vertically at what's going on, it's actually looking horizontally. And isn't that the issue? All of us look around, we look at the churches, and we look at all the people who say they're Christians, and we see hypocrisy. That's what we see. And maybe, maybe that's what people see when they look at us. So that's what Jesus is teaching. And of course, as I say, it's, it's very relevant, even as we hear these horrific reports from the Southern Baptist Convention of a list of 700 Men mostly, but even including women, involved in abuse that in some measure was covered up by that denomination. So this is a critical question because we're getting at what is a Christian. In Luke 6, we read, Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. And I'll just stop there. So in his own folksy way that Jesus has, in his own folksy way, Jesus is defining for us what a Christian is. He's saying simply that a Christian 
is a good tree in this metaphor. Now, if you hear that, oh, okay, a Christian is a good tree, your your theology radar starts beeping because, because you're ready to say, well, well, nobody is good. Nobody is good. There is none righteous, no, not one. We know Paul teaches us, and that's all correct. But that's not what Jesus is getting at. Remember, he's not talking about the inner details of the process. He's talking about what is observable, what's what's true, and that can be witnessed so that all can see it. People can see it. So a good tree, then, is going to be fundamentally different than a thorn bush, than a bramble bush. Fundamentally different. A thorn bush can't produce apples and cherries. And, and thistles don't produce grapes and grapefruit. They're just different. So Jesus then is defining a Christian as a good tree, and he's illustrating the principle that the good tree produces good fruit. The fruit is consistent with the tree. That's the point. Why is it consistent? Why is it consistent? Well, it is because it is united to the tree. That's the key thing. So Jesus defines a Christian simply as someone who is united to Christ. We saw the inner workings of that when we looked at John 15, 1-5. But that is the first principle of a Christian. What is a Christian? It is somebody who is united to Christ. It is the principle of union. So that's the first principle I want you to see. The principle of union. Union with Christ. Not union with a group. Not union with an idea. Not union with an ethical code. A Christian is united to the true Christ. And so although Mormons are very nice, ethical people, and Muslims are professedly monotheists and seem to be very ethical people, and Roman Catholics, they they can be very nice folks and have a a sense of an ethical way of living, and yet all of them are are not necessarily united to the true Christ. They all talk about Jesus. But their Jesus is different than the Jesus of Scripture. Their union is to a different Christ. And so, by Jesus' definition here, they are not good trees. They are trees of a different kind. I was informed recently about a, a false teacher here in Calgary who claims to be an apostle. And this false teacher, he, he spreads his false teaching and, and some people might think this guy is an evangelical. But he's a false teacher. So even though he's united to certain ethical codes or united to some type of sociological grouping, he's not a good tree. He's a false tree, an evil tree. And what Jesus is doing with this repeated passage, which we have in all of the Gospels, Jesus is correcting the world's definition of a Christian. You you know the world has a definition of what a Christian is. You know, Jesus doesn't have to say it explicitly, but we get the illustration. If, if, verse 44, if figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush, then it doesn't really matter if the thorn bush or the bramble bush is in a fruit orchard. Lots of fruit trees, lots of good trees around. But it does not matter. If the thistle is in the midst of all of that, it doesn't make it a fruit tree. 
But that's the world's perception. People think you can be close to good trees and that's going to be good enough. But the fact is you still can't produce grapes. You can't do it. They're different. Even if you're side by side with those who are true good trees. You see, this is the world's false definition of a Christian. They just think that somebody has to associate with good trees. That's all they have to do. So they live by the principle, not of union, not of union with Christ. They live by the principle of proximity. Proximity. So, oh, you, uh, you go to church. I guess you're a Christian. Right? You, you, you have had some type of encounter with Christianity. I guess you're a Christian. You have Christian friends. I guess then you're, you're, you must be religious. You must be a Christian. Well, that's the world's definition. By proximity. That somehow you are connected. And that makes you a Christian. You see, the world is going to lump together, even like false teachers like Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer, going to lump them in with evangelicals because of proximity. But they're united to a different Christ. They're united to the Antichrist. So, so that's why when you, when you listen, you know, you see online and stuff, people say, oh, well, evangelicals believe this, or evangelicals are doing this. Well, you've got to ask, what is an evangelical? And truly, biblically, an evangelical is someone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ exclusively and trusts in him for the forgiveness of their sins. They believe in the true Christ according to the true word, the inerrant, inspired word of God. But you can think of it that there's been many people over the years who have come to this church, to Calvary Grace, long before many of you have been here. People have passed through here. Or you can think of uh, a church like Grace Community Church in L.A., John MacArthur's church. Or you could think of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, Tim Keller's church. Or Westminster Chapel that Lloyd-Jones used to pastor. Any of the well-known churches that you might favor, that you look to, And just because somebody happened to pass through there and sit in the pews there, sometimes we can have an assumption that such a person is as spiritually mature as the most godly saint or the pastor of that church simply because they went there. And we can think that proximity guarantees godliness. It doesn't. It doesn't. Just being here does not magically make you spiritually mature. I mean, I'm glad you're here, but, it, but, it, but just pew sitting does not, the proximity does not do anything for you. You've got to look to Christ. I recently heard Mark Dever, he actually made this observation on a couple of different occasions. He made an observation about Northern Europe. Northern Europe. He was specifically talking about Germany and Sweden. I mean, this is, a, you know, this is a Lutheran building. You know, you've got the legacy of Lutheranism from Germany. But, but Dever asked the question whether or not Northern Europe was ever truly converted to Christianity. It's, it's a really good question. Because when you start looking at it, in Northern Europe, just like Constantine who baptized his whole army... The warlords in the Middle Ages in Germany and in Sweden and across Europe, they would just baptize their whole population, and from that time, then they would claim to be Christians. But were they good trees? Were they actually, were they actually born again? Were they united to Christ? Or is it just a whole lot of brambles and thistles and thorn bushes that you're saying, look at all this, we're all Christians now. Put the holy water on them. It's all good. We learned last Sunday, I spoke in Sunday school about Prince Vladimir of Kiev, thinking about Ukraine and Russia, and how he foolishly baptized his whole population. And that enshrined in Ukraine the principle of proximity. If you're in the Ukraine, you're a Christian. 
<laughs> that's how it works. And that's how people think about Canada. You come to Canada, oh, Christian nation, everybody's a Christian. Then they find out, oh, wow, is this how Christians act? <laughs> Boy, no. It's a false principle. Only those who repent and believe are united to Jesus Christ. They are united to him as the good tree, of course, as we learn from John 15. And as Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the weeds, the enemy actually comes and sows weeds among the wheat. The wheat. And so proximity is a false principle. Just because you have weeds beside the wheat doesn't make the weeds the real deal. So we have to be clear about this. So Jesus then, in Luke chapter 6, he introduces a simple test. A simple test that we can use. it's, It's then this question that is posed, how is the good tree known? We see it, verse 44. For each tree is known by its own fruit. And so this brings then brings us to the second point. How do we know this? But, but even before we move on to that, you, you've got to ask yourself, as, we, as we're going to dig into this, you've got to ask yourself at this point, are, are you, do you view yourself as a Christian? And do you view yourself as a mature Christian? Because you actually have grown and are mature and you do know Christ? Or... Do you think of yourself that way simply because you're here with your friends and you're around all these other mature people? Is this the mature church in town or one of them? And so you think because you go here, then you are automatically mature in the faith? You're automatically a Christian because you come here? It's just not the case. That's the false principle of proximity. I mean, more importantly, do you think that you're spiritually safe simply because you go to church. Is that the reason? Or do you know you're spiritually safe because Jesus is your safety, He is your surety, and you cling to Him, and it doesn't matter what church you're at, you're going to cling to Jesus. Then you know you're safe. There's a big difference. But how do we know This good tree, how is it known? And in all of these tree is known by its fruit passages, they're not talking about the quantity of fruit. It's not the quantity. They're not talking about the yield of fruit, how fruitful I am. Is it 20-fold? Is it 100-fold? They're not talking about that. Instead, Jesus is clarifying that the only good that he's clarifying that only good fruit comes from good trees. So that's the key. In other words, he's focusing on the variety or the kind of fruit, the type of fruit, not the yield. It's the, the class or category with the name Christian. It's, he's not talking in this passage about the progress of the Christian. Now, if you've been here for the last few Sundays, you would know We've talked about that sometimes progress in the Christian life is slow. Has it been going slow for you? It can go slow. Sometimes it looks as if it's non-existent because you've been pruned. You've been cut back so that you would bear more fruit. So the Christian life has these changing seasons. Well, this passage is not about that. It's about the connection between a certain kind of fruit that reveals the kind of tree that it belongs to. In this case, the good tree. And the good tree is going to have fruit that's going to be, for example, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. So if the process and the progress is not in view then the only thing that matters here is what kind it is, what type. Now Paul, the Apostle Paul, he built on Jesus' teaching. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
1 Timothy chapter 5, and to see what Paul does in building on this teaching. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and pick up in verse 24. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24. Paul says, The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. The word for conspicuous, the Greek word, is prodelos. And it is the idea of being plainly manifest. Like being so obvious. You know, we might say, you know, as plain as the nose on your face kind of thing. Now, Paul knew that there was a process. He he certainly understood that. But his point was that a good tree bears a good kind of fruit. It's obvious. That's the point. And a bad tree bears a bad kind of fruit, and it will also eventually become obvious. That's the point, is this obviousness that must come out. Now, like I say, we we all get disillusioned when we discover some sort of spiritual kayfabe going on. You know, we see blatant hypocrisy in the church. For example, i just use another example, a, a tragic example. We hear, of the, we hear, continuing to hear, the revelations of the immorality of the evangelist Ravi Zacharias. And it sounds so shocking and unexpected. But as the truth comes out, we find that there's actually was a lot of bad fruit that was airbrushed and spin doctored and covered up and redefined. And it was, there was lots there all the way along. You know, big red flag when I heard it was, guy isn't a member of a local church. Oh, but he's got this huge ministry. Yeah, but he does, he's not accountable to a local church. It's like basics of being a Christian. But you can't gather grapes from thistles. And so it is disillusioning. But I would just suggest, well, no, I'm going to more than suggest, I'm going to urge anybody here. You might be here and you're actually living a lie. You're living a lie. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you're living a lie, you won't be able to hide your false life. You won't be able to hide it. It will come out. If I can just pick on the person with the cell phone, I don't know who it is, but you know, when you, when you have that come on, you can't hide it. Oh, my phone's going off. You can't hide it. And if you're living a lie, it will show itself. You can... You, there's. There's people that are really good at covering this stuff up for a long time, but you can't fool everybody all the time. You certainly don't fool God. So I just urge you, it's going to come out. So you need to turn from your sin and be honest with God. Now, if you're, if you're worried, though, you're, you're, you're kind of then a different kind of person here. You're worried that as a Christian, maybe... Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm just not good enough. Well, you just need to take heart. Because if you're a true Christian believer, the good tree must bear good fruit. If you're the real deal, it's going to happen. It's promised it will happen. God's going to change you. And that brings us then to the third point. The good tree must produce good look back in luke chapter 6 back in luke luke 6 look at verse 45 now the good person 
So that's the person that's in Christ. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. Well, we've seen the principle of union, the false principle of proximity. Now we get another good principle, the principle of consistency. Consistency. Is the outside consistent with what is inside? Because the inside will push its way through to the outside no matter what. That's the principle. So if it's evil on the inside, if it's unregenerate, if it's sin, if it's, you know, I am the king, I'm the master of my own universe, well, you can hide it and play church for a while, but the inside is going to push outward so that the outside is it's eventually going to be seen. But if you, if you are actually looking in simple faith to Jesus, and you think, well, I, I mean, there's been some of the testimonies of some of the guys here. You know, guys, you know, thinking, well, I'm, you know, I think of one brother here, a couple of guys actually had this same story, kind of saying, well, yeah, I'm an atheist. You know, but, but actually, you see, boy, they seem to be trusting Jesus. They're trusting Jesus more and more. Well, then, if they're trusting Jesus, then that's going to come out. And then the day comes, well, actually, I think I'm a Christian. Yeah, well, we all could see that bursting out of you. We knew it was going to happen. And that's the wonderful thing. You think, well, I'm not, I'm not a very good Christian. Well, it doesn't really matter. If you're a true believer, the inside will push itself outside. You see, the heart, you can, you can view it as this treasure. What, what is being treasured? This place of treasure. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The Greek word there is the word where we get thesaurus. You know, what's a thesaurus? It's a treasury of words, you know, synonyms and antonyms and so forth. So in the heart, there's this thesaurus of good words and good works or wicked words and wicked works. And so the issue with each person is, has the thesaurus changed? Has the treasure changed? And the only, the only way for any of us to know, we, we can't see, we can't peer inside, not just your physical heart, but into this metaphysical heart that each of us had. We can't peer inside and see that. So how do we know what kind of thesaurus, what kind of treasure is inside each heart? We look around, how do we know? Well, it's, what the thesaurus produces, what the treasure produces on the outside. What comes from your treasure. And if you didn't get the challenge of that significance of this inside pushing outward principle, this principle of consistency, then Jesus ends that last verse by saying for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaks or today we might say out of the abundance of his heart his phone tweets uh oh uh oh maybe that's me uh oh What's, 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 what, what am I, what's going on Facebook out of the abundance of my heart? Because then that's kind of what people can see. They're like, okay, maybe what this guy's saying is correct, but boy, it, I don't know where this guy's heart is at. What's, what's actually the overflow of his heart? Oof, I don't know. John Piper, throughout his ministry, has really brought to many people's attention the ministry of Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century pastor in New England. And Edwards was one of these guys that really meditated upon the heart 
and the heart's relationship with God. And Piper has quoted this many times, but Jonathan Edwards in his miscellanies, you can find it online, he, he said this, he said, God is glorified, so, so as it were, the, the, the weight and gravity of God is appreciated and understood. God is glorified in our rejoicing and delighting and enjoying of God. He goes on to say, God is glorified not, in, not only in His glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. It's not just seeing God's glory, it is rejoicing in it. And you can't rejoice without it being from the heart. You can look at the Rocky Mountains and say, these mountains are big. I see it, yeah. There's a certain largeness of glory there. Yeah, they're big. But that's way different than saying, wow, we've got to buy a house with a mountain view because I've got to see that every morning and rejoice in it. That's, That's a tiny, tiny analogous expression of the difference between merely seeing God's glory and rejoicing in His glory and enjoying it. See, that's where then the inside, what is the inside delighting in? What's the inside enjoying? What is the good treasure that is in the heart? Namely, treasuring Jesus Christ. Is that what's going on? That is then, because he's kind of switching the metaphor from the tree, but that treasuring in the heart, it will come out. It will come out in how you speak, in, an, in the abundance. It will overflow. Now, you might not be as expressive as Jonathan Edwards or John Piper. But if you're, a, if you're truly a good tree, you will rejoice that Jesus died not abstractly for sins, you will rejoice that Jesus died for your sins. Your personal sins. And then you will have Christ as your thesaurus, as your treasure, as your greatest value on the inside. And even if the outside can still be inconsistent at times with what's on the inside. The inside will push itself out eventually over time and your life, your external life will be changed. So we see these principles that Jesus is getting at here. The principle of union, union with Christ, of consistency between the inside and the outside. But also we saw then that false principle of proximity that leads to hypocrisy. But by way of application then, I just want to, again, put more of a, from a preaching to meddling kind of test to you. Just simply put, what does your speech or your actions reveal about what is inside? Straight up. Like, 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 not just, oh, well, yeah, I may have said something vulgar or mean or wicked or done something mean or vulgar or wicked on a one-off. I'm talking about, could you look at, like, kind of, kind of take all of the words and all of the actions of the last week or the last month or the last year or the last five years, or the last ten years, take that whole data and say, what is the general characteristic of what is coming out of me? What's actually being produced? Generally. What does your speech reveal about the abundance that is in your heart? Is it an abundance of love? Love for God? Love for the saints? Love for neighbors that maybe they don't even deserve it because it's you're actually loving your enemies. 
Yeah, they're enemies. No, not saying they're not enemies. They are. But you're loving them for Christ's sake. Is there an abundance of that kind of love? An abundance of grace? Oh no, I only, I only treat people good if they treat me good. Oh, but then that's not grace. That's just like the world does. No, it's an abundance of undeserved favor that you are giving out. People don't deserve it. I'm still giving this generosity and gratuity. Is there an abundance of that coming out? Or, in the last two years in particular, is there an abundance of contempt? An abundance of rage? Rage. What abundance overflows then from the Christian's heart? Well, it should be the abundance of the Holy Spirit. You know, and how, how, can you, how can you identify that abundance? Well, you could then recognize that spiritual speech, not phony baloney stuff, but real spiritual speech overflows from a person's heart. So in Matthew chapter 12, the parallel passage to Luke 6, Jesus is recorded to add in this teaching, in Luke 12, 36, he says this, and let this, let this weigh on you. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word they speak. Verse 37 of Matthew 12. For by your words will you be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I'm not talking about trying to save yourself by works or trying to justify yourself by works. The point is, though, the Christian who is saying, I'm justified by grace alone, they know that when they sin by their words, they need to plead the blood of Jesus Christ. They need to plead the righteousness of Jesus Christ as they're standing before God. Because if they don't have Christ, their performance does not merit them access to God. Jesus said all of this because speech reveals the consistent union, either to the good tree or to the evil one. See, sometimes you'll, you'll find a polite person or an educated person, they'll have enough decorum that they don't speak in obviously wicked ways. But, but when you talk to them, they, they just don't talk about Jesus. They don't praise him. They don't thank him. They don't heed Him. They don't confess to Him. They don't call out to Him. They don't pray to Him. There's fruit there, but it isn't fruit produced by Christ. It's the pods on the Caragana hedge, not the grapes from an orchard. It's the fruit of an evil tree. You say, but you're such a polite person. They're so, they seem to be you know, so well-mannered. Yeah, but they have no interest in Christ as their treasure. Maybe they like being accepted by people and being liked by people, but they don't want to be known by God. They don't want Christ as their treasure. So what does your speech reveal about what's inside? Do we want to live unhypocritically for Christ? Well, then Christ will cause us to bear regenerate fruit in our lives. But I'll tell you what, like, if you want to use the church, use this church, use any church, if you want to use it as a racket, you know, use the church to make you feel good, use the church to exploit for gain, maybe even use proximity in this church to actually shield your true feelings, then let me tell you, you might fool us. I'm easily fooled. You, you might fool us. I've been fooled. You might fool us. You might fool a lot of people. 
But you won't fool everyone. You won't fool everybody all the time. The truth will out. And most of all, you won't fool God. He sees all. But thankfully, every true, believe, every true Christian, every true believer, who does still sin hypocritically, right? Oh, I, no, I'm not a hypocrite. Yeah, yeah, I think we've got evidence that you might have hypocritical sin at times. We all do. But every true believer who sins hypocritically, they then come again and again in honesty, in open confession, and they plead the blood of Jesus Christ for their hypocrisies. The blood of Christ atoning and giving forgiveness of sins. It's why Pastor Paul led us in confessing our sins. See, that honesty before God, that only comes from a person whose heart has been made new. For out of the treasure of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And the Christian speaks of Christ. They speak of Christ and his blood and righteousness alone. No hypocrisy, no kayfabe, just treasuring Jesus Christ. My hope is that each of you would leave here treasuring Christ maybe anew, maybe for the first time, but treasuring Christ and forsaking all hypocrisies. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that according to your great mercy, you would draw us to yourself in openness, in transparency, cause us to be united to Jesus Christ, not united to some figment of our imagination, And that you would cause what is inside us to be revealed outside of us. Make it so that you would be glorified even in this generation, even in this society. Glorified through our lives so that many people would come to see that witness. And they would look and want to know What is the treasure that is inside that produces with such abundance a transformed life? Lord, do that work in us individually. Do it in us corporately as a church. Glorify your own name and bring many to treasure Jesus Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen.